are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about food sensitivity testing. Is it worth it? How are you, Mary? Doing good. How are you? Good, good. So this is a question that I think we get pretty frequently in the Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, MD. Has anybody done food sensitivity testing? Um, Mm. You know, should I get this done? You know, my chiropractor wants to run this on me. You know, what do people think? It seems like we get a lot of questions on food sensitivity testing. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Either food sensitivity testing or just specific foods that people are sensitive to, mm-hmm. like that they may have found out through testing, if mm-hmm. that made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this kind of ties into uh, food triggers, which we have uh, a podcast on, and it also ties into leaky gut which we have a podcast on as well. But today Mm -hmm. I thought it would be helpful to people to specifically address food sensitivity testing. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Great. So first of all, let's call out testing here. Okay. So there are conventional tests or lab work that medical doctors run and many alternative medicine practitioners will run as well. And then there are what is called specialty testing or specialty labs. Mm -hmm. And so this is lab work that is sort of specific to the alternative medicine industry. Okay. Right. So conventional lab work, this is going to be run through, you know, quest LabCorp, those are the two biggest companies in the U.S. And the uh, standards on those tests are very tightly monitored, right? So, for example, Mm -hmm. if you go and get, you need to get your fasting blood sugar tested, your fasting glucose tested, whatever lab you go to, you're going to get a very, very consistent result, okay? Because Mm. the conventional labs are pretty tightly regulated. Mm -hmm. Are these the ones recommended or ran through your general practitioner doctor Mm -hmm. or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So your medical doctor, these are the labs that they're going to run. In general, medical doctors are not going to run specialty labs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the conventional lab work, you know, when you go in for your yearly physical exam and they run some blood work, they're going to run a comprehensive metabolic panel. That's going to look at your kidney function and your liver function. You're, they're going to run a complete blood count CBC. It's going to look at your red blood cells and your white blood cells, et cetera. They might run a lipid panel or cholesterol Mm -hmm. panel, right? Those sort of standard labs or blood work that medical doctors run. Those are conventional labs and they're tightly regulated. And so if you, uh, you know, if, uh, if you get that test done at a lab in Chicago and you get on an airplane and, and fly to Los Angeles and get another blood draw and get, get those same labs run again that day, you're going to have consistent results. Oh, okay. Okay. 
you know, hospitals run these labs, et cetera. And so they're tightly regulated. They, the way that the labs are processed by all the, you know, thousands of different laboratories across the country are very consistent, very standardized. And so the results are going to be very consistent from lab to lab. Mm -hmm. Now, as we've talked about in other podcasts, conventional lab work is designed to pick up, you know, organ failure. Um, uh, things are not going to come back on conventional lab work until you've got some pretty serious problems. Mm-hmm. The worst of the worst type things, right? Mm-hmm. So this is why, you know, women with migraines, they'll go get their blood work done and the blood work will be fine. And the doctor will tell them they're healthy, even though they feel horrible. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and people say, well, how come nothing's coming back on the labs? I feel horrible. Well, it's because the labs are designed, like I say, to, to detect significant problems in organ function, mm-hmm. biochemistry, things like that. Which, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out here. It would seem like it would show up on a lab. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you're you're really in a miserable spot. It would make sense that it would show up on a lab. But right. I don't even know that they have one that would measure the things that are going wrong when you right. have migraines. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So yeah, as horrible as migraines are and as, as bad as we feel when we have a migraine, they're not the migraine, the 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 physiology of a migraine is not causing organ damage. It may feel like it may feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not actually harming, uh, harming the body. So it's not mm. going to be, the, things are not going to be picked up on, on mm. conventional lab work or standard labs. Mm. So again, because things are not getting picked up on the lab work, this drives people to seek out what is called specialty labs. Mm-hmm. And so now we are in the alternative medicine sphere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, this is the kind of the progression for most people. They start with their medical doctor and when they're not getting answers or help, they go into the alternative medicine sphere. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on other podcasts, I've been critical in this, in this sphere too, the sphere that I am a part of. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the specialty labs Okay. These are trying to meet the demand for answers that the conventional lab work can't provide. Mm-hmm. Okay. The problem is the specialty lab work, it's regulated. It's not like there's absolutely no regulation on these labs, but it's not as tight of regulation. And mm. there's, there is not the standardization that conventional lab work has. Right. So, so from sensitivity, lab to lab might be different. Is that correct? Kind of exactly. Okay. So there are numerous specialty lab companies mm-hmm. and each one is going to have their own food sensitivity test. Mm-hmm. Now I have not personally done this, but I have colleagues that have done this and I 100% take their word for the results. So I have colleagues that they will do a blood draw and Mm -hmm. they will submit the blood, you know, they'll, they'll submit the sample to multiple companies for, for a food sensitivity test. Hmm. 
And then they'll get the they'll get the food sensitivity results back from the three companies that they sent the sample to, and the results mm-hmm. are different. And how okay. can that be? This would be like you go in, right? So like I'm in the Chicago area, Quest Diagnostics is real big mm-hmm. here, right? So this would be mm-hmm. like me going to get my fasting blood sugar checked at my local Quest Diagnostics. And then later that day, driving to a Quest Diagnostics, say 30 miles south of me and getting it re- rechecked. And it'd be, you know, one one says 300 and one says 99, hmm. right? Obviously, my blood sugar is going to fluctuate throughout the day, but one has me, you know, severe uncontrolled diabetic, and one has me in normal range, right? Right. That's not going to happen, right? Because the standardization is there. The, the procedures within the lab are standardized and consistent across labs. That's not the case with specialty testing. Hmm. That's scary. It is very scary. And these tests are not cheap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Food sensitivity tests are going to run you a couple hundred bucks. Right. So when you're going to spend money like that, you want to make sure that the results are accurate. So this is a big problem within the specialty lab industry. There are multiple companies that offer these specialty labs, and these can be food sensitivity tests, you know, adrenal hormone tests, um, neurotransmitter tests, you know, a multitude of different tests that are offered, mm-hmm. but the standardization and regulation is not that robust. And so results will vary from company to company. It can get so bad. Um, I've had colleagues, you know, take, take two blood draws from themselves mm-hmm. and submit one under their name to the lab company and then mm-hmm. submit the second sample under a pseudonym, under a different mm. name, and submit that to the same company mm. and get different results on food sensitivity tests and other tests. That's crazy. Right? So we have a lack of consistency even within one company's results. And mm-hmm. then we definitely have a lack of consistency between companies. This is the kind of company that can be recommended through your your uh nature path practitioner or one of those self-sending like i can order one online and send it in myself those labs right okay correct yes so these specialty labs have been around i mean at least 25 30 years they've been around for a long time and Mm -hmm. chiropractors naturopathic doctors functional medicine doctors these are the type of alternative medicine practitioners that have been utilizing these labs for decades. Mm-hmm. Your kind of uh, straight and narrow medical doctor, they're going to poo-poo this type of thing. They're not going to order these things. But mm-hmm. me- many medical doctors are practicing under a quote-unquote functional medicine approach. Chiropractors, naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, they've been using these specialty tests for years, right? To Again, to try to meet this demand for answers. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, within the industry, there are different labs, you know, that are kind of known for being more accurate. And then there are other labs where, oh no, this is kind of, you know, a little bit fly by night. Right. So mm-hmm. even different laboratories have different reputations within the industry. Let me ask you one more thing too, about the results. 
Like when you go to the medical doctor, there is a range of normal that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the results of whatever test fall within. Mm-hmm. So where they don't have as many regulations on these other tests, are they range of normal are like, oh, I'm Mary Lab company, so I get to choose my own range of normal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So the standardized standardization within the company is also kind of subjective. I don't know. It, well, yeah. So when we're looking at what is a normal value, so even for mm-hmm. standard lab work, conventional lab work, even for that lab work, you know, how did they determine what is a quote unquote normal thyroid hormone level? They tested right. 100 quote unquote healthy people and saw mm-hmm. what the range was. Right. Mm-hmm. And they tested people with thi- low thyroid symptoms, hyperthyroid symptoms. What are those ranges? Right. So, you know, it's not like any of these ranges have to be determined and there is some subjectivity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, wh- why did they make the cutoff at, you know, at this 10th of a point versus another 10th of a point? Right. Why did right. they make that cut off? Right. So there is that aspect to all lab work, mm-hmm. but yeah, on the specialty lab work side, because it is less regulated, yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a question that the practitioner needs to sort of research before they start offering a particular company's test. You know, how did you come up with this, right? How do I know when I get the report from you that what you say is normal, normal range, you know, how, how do I know that? Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a doctor or a practitioner that's doing due diligence, you know, you can call up the lab, you can talk to medical director of labs and so on. So people, you know, practitioners who are doing due diligence, they're going to really ask some tough questions of these specialty labs because it's not like, again, it's not like, you know, ordering standard blood work, conventional blood work and sending somebody to a quest diagnostics. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it's really on the practitioner who's offering and charging for the lab work. It's really on them to do that due diligence. Mm-hmm. And so has the practitioner done that? That's, that's an important well, and if you do it on your own, it's like, then you're at home reading the results. And I'm, I'm not qualified to know for sure if that's just because mm-hmm. the lab sent me information doesn't mean I know what I'm reading or like, right. And I don't run a lot of specialty labs, but, Mm -hmm. um, when I do run specialty labs, I will frequently have to talk to the medical director at the lab just to Mm -hmm. make sure that I'm interpreting it correctly. It's not just cut and dry. Right. And, you know, I, I know the biochemistry, I know the physiology that, Mm -hmm. that the test is measuring, but many times I will still call and talk with the, uh, medical director at the lab to get their input, make sure I'm interpreting it correctly, et cetera. It's not real cut and dry. Um, Mm -hmm. A few years ago, they did start offering to the general public the ability for anybody, like you say, go online and order the test, but then, yeah, okay, you got the test back. What does this mean now? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, with my training, I went through four years of naturopathic medical school, two years of clinical training, I've been in practice for 12 years, right? And I'm still calling the medical director of the lab. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, but, you know, why did they start doing this? They recently started doing this. It's been since 
I graduated from naturopathic school that uh, some of these lab companies are now offering it to the general public and they're doing that to make money. You know, right. they, they, these companies, they want to sell more tests and um, you know, you have a lot of practitioners like me that don't run a lot of specialty tests. So I'm kind of the reason why the company's not making so much money. So if they can market direct market it directly to you and they don't have to convince me to think that it's valid when a lot of, you know, most of the time I don't think they're that helpful. Well, they've eliminated a barrier to sales, me, by marketing yeah. it directly to you. And then if you don't know how to interpret the test or implement it, I mean, they already have their money. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that you um, kind of just pass through a point that was like, oh yeah, the whole point of this conversation is, is it that helpful? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's talk food sensitivity tests, right? Is it helpful? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the test, first of all, is incorrectly named. Mm. The food sensitivity test, right? When you hear what do you think of Mary when you hear, oh, I'm going to run a food sensitivity test on you, Mary? What do, what do you think is going to be done here? Oh, my first thought is like, am I going to be tested to see if I'm allergic to gluten or um, lactose? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, is, is that what's giving me a tummy ache? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You're, you're going to take some sort of test to tell you if a food is causing you a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is not what the food sensitivity test is actually determining. Mm -hmm. And so this is the number one out of the gate. First problem with food sensitivity testing. Mm -hmm. The test does not tell you if you have a problem with a particular food. So can we just talk about false advertising? No. Uh -huh. <laughs> what? Well, what are we testing for then? The, and the bigger problem is the practitioner who's recommending it to you, Mary, thinks that it does mm -hmm. pinpoint that you have a problem with a food, right? Mm -hmm. So not mm -hmm. only are you being deceived as a patient, but the practitioner is being deceived by the name of the test. Right. So what so, is it looking at? Yeah. So what it is looking at, it is actually measuring the digestive function, uh, sort of how healthy is your digestive tract? How well mm. does your digestive tract function? It has nothing to do with the food. Hmm. So food sensitivity testing is looking for a particular antibody response. This is a response that's generated by the immune system that is generated when we have poor digestive function. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's kind of back up and let's talk about what is supposed to happen in our digestive tract. Mm -hmm. right? So we think that when we are eating food, right, we're putting food in our body, right? Mm -hmm. This is actually false, okay? Our digestive tract, right, we have a tube that runs through our body. Mm -hmm. We're kind of like a donut. There's a hole <laughs> in the middle of mm -hmm. us. Okay. I almost told my kids that yesterday and I'm like, I don't think they're ready for this. 
So be prepared to blow your mind, guys. Here it comes. <laughs> so when we put something in our mouth and we swallow it, we are putting in this tube it into a tube that is actually outside of the body. Mm-hmm. So the function of the digestive tract is to break the food down while it is outside of our body and only allow the nutrients that is in the food to come into the body. Mm-hmm. Right? Nutrients are things like um, macronutrients, fully broken down carbohydrates into glucose, uh, fully broken down protein into amino acids, fully broken down fat into fatty acids, and then all of the vitamins and minerals and little micronutrients that are in the food. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, the digestive tract is supposed to keep the food outside of the body mm-hmm. and it is supposed to let in the fully broken down macro and micronutrients. Think of, right? So look at, look at our skin, right? Our skin Mm -hmm. is a barrier between us and the outside world. Mm -hmm. Our skin is made of a type of cell called epithelial cells. Mm -hmm. And those cells, epithelial cells, when they are functioning properly, when those cells are in a state of health, they are kind of smashed together. They butt up against each other very tightly to form that barrier. Mm -hmm. Right? So the cells that line our digestive tract are also epithelial cells. Mm. They're a little different than the skin cells. Our skin is a multi-layered organ. Mm. We don't have that sort of layering within our digestive tract, but the cells that line the digestive tract are also epithelial cells. They are forming that barrier between the outside world and us. Mm -hmm. And so those epithelial cells, they want to be butted up against each other very tightly, Mm -hmm. right? They want to form that wall, that barrier between the outside and us. Right. So again, let's look at our skin, right? Because we can't look at the cells in our digestive tract. We can look at our skin, right? So when our skin is healthy and functioning properly, right? It's smooth. It's not cracked. It's not weeping. It's not oozing stuff, right? It's not Mm -hmm. scratched and scabbed, right? It's a nice, smooth layer. Mm -hmm. So we want that within the digestive tract. Right. If those epithelial cells are not tightly butted up against each other, they're going to be leaky. Right. They're going to, right. If there's a little gap between them, well, now I'm going to let in a little undigested food. Right. Right. So I know we've done an episode previously on kind of leaky gut, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a good time to just? kind of touch on that and because mm-hmm. we, right. we don't want to like just lead people down the road of well go fix your leaky gut and all will be well right right yeah we did a full podcast on leaky gut but this is what leaky gut is right it's mm-hmm. the epithelial cells they're not butted up against each other tightly and they're allowing our food to leak into us mm-hmm. right so again we eat you know, we eat um, some 
some chicken and rice and broccoli. Okay, so we chew that up, we swallow it, that's outside of our body. Mm-hmm. And our digestive tract is moving it around and grinding it up and, and uh, squirting hydrochloric acid on it and digestive enzymes and bile and all these things that break the, the chicken and the rice and the broccoli down mm-hmm. into smaller and smaller little chicken molecules, smaller and smaller little rice molecules, smaller and smaller little broccoli molecules until it finally is no longer a broccoli molecule. It's just glucose and mm-hmm. undigestible fiber. It's no longer a little rice molecule. It's just glucose and undigestible fiber, right? It's not a little chicken molecule anymore. It's just amino acids. Mm-hmm. That is the point at which those things are allowed to pass through those epithelial cells, okay? Mm-hmm. The, the nutrients from our food are not just sort of via osmosis coming into the body, okay? Mm-hmm. Most nutrients are selectively pulled into the body. It's not just kind of randomly getting into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of those epithelial cells in our digestive tract is to keep the chicken and the rice and the broccoli molecules out of us until they are no longer broccoli and rice and chicken. They're amino acids and glucose, you know, beta carotene, whatever. Okay. At that point, they're allowed to come into the body. So if those cells are not butted up against each other tightly and there's little gaps between them, we're going to have a little chicken molecule get into our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So then what, what's going to happen next? Well, our immune system is going to go, wait a minute here. There's a piece of chicken floating around mm-hmm. here. This isn't supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. This is only supposed to have, we're only supposed to have amino acids and fatty acids and glucose and beta carotene, right? I'm Mm -hmm. not supposed to have a little tiny chicken molecule in here. I got to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. So how is it going to get rid of it? It's going to generate antibodies, which are going to attach to the little chicken molecule. And then that's going to signal the rest of the immune system to sort of attack it. Mm. So a food sensitivity test picks up the antibodies to the chicken. Right. Right? So in this case, like, it wouldn't necessarily matter which thing you had coming into your stomach as much as whether or not the body was able to digest it properly. Correct. So the very, very common thing that happens when people get a food sensitivity test done, and I'm actually talking about this because a woman raised this very issue in the free Facebook group. She Mm -hmm. said, you know, I got a food sensitivity test done and it came back with all of the food that I normally ate. And so I haven't eaten that food for four years. Oh no. (laughs) Right. So again, let's think about this, right? So if those epithelial cells are not tightly butted up against each other and there are little gaps in between them, they're going to inevitably allow little undigested food particles of the food that we eat into our bloodstream. Now, Mm -hmm. most people have a range of food that they eat. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Most people are not eating every possible food available on the planet. They're eating the food that's particular to their culture, to the taste that they have, what tastes good to them, what's convenient for them to eat, right? And that really narrows the variety of our food down, right? So most people are eating, you know, uh, I do the same thing. Most of the food that I cook, you know, usually I use olive oil, right? I'm not using, you know, butter and olive oil. Those are my go-tos that I cook my food in. I'm not, you know, one meal using coconut oil and one meal using avocado oil, and one meal using, you know, uh, tallow and another meal, right? It's like I buy mm-hmm. olive oil and butter and that's my go-to. I'm pretty much mm-hmm. using those two fats to cook right. my food in, right? That's what most people are doing, right? So then you get a food sensitivity test back. Oh, sensitive to olive oil and butter. Oh my goodness. This is what I used to cook. Right. Right. So overwhelmingly what happens when people get food sensitivity tests is the food that they eat on a day-to-day basis all comes back. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is very disappointing if you're like me. Well, now people go into a panic, right? Oh my goodness, I can't use olive oil and butter anymore. Oh my goodness, I just, I just went to Costco and bought a big, big uh, gallon, uh, (laughs) big gallon thing of olive oil. Now what am I going to do? Oh my goodness. I don't, I don't like the taste of avocado oil. I don't like, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these, you know, coconut oil tastes like coconut. I mean, some people don't like coconut, right? I'm not a real big fan of coconut. Um, I will use coconut oil, but I definitely don't use it uh, with everything because uh, not everything to me tastes good with this coconut flavor. Right. Right. I mean, it's, you know, taste is an issue, right? So if people go into a panic. Yeah, go ahead. Coconut oil for me has like an aftertaste that just does not stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> so people go into a panic. Oh my goodness. I eat chicken all the time and I eat rice all the time and I cook with olive oil all the time. Now I've got to, you know, okay, do I continue to eat what I already have in the pantry that I spent money on? Mm. But, you know, I don't want to waste money. I don't want to waste food. But apparently this test tells me this food is killing me. So now what do I do? You know, my husband likes butter, but should I have it in the house? You know, like I can't eat Ooh. butter. So now I got to cook him something with butter and I can't have it with myself. It, it, it generates, okay, now I got to have a special meal for myself because nobody else wants to not have butter on yeah. stuff. Right. Nobody else wants coconut oil on this. Everybody else wants avocado, uh, wants olive oil on this. Right. So now I got to have separate food. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, I don't know how to cook with another oil. Right. I've always used olive oil and butter. I know the temperature. I know the timing. I know what to look for as far as the browning. I don't know what to do with avocado oil or, you know, coconut oil now. Right. Mm -hmm. So it sends people into a panic. They have to, you know, waste food, throw things out or, you know, feel guilty while they're finishing it up. All totally revamp their meal planning. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a huge disruption. Mm-hmm. But people want to feel better. And so, you know, their practitioner told them to do this. So they'll, they'll go, they'll jump through all of the hoops mm-hmm. and they will eliminate those foods for six months 
And then the practitioner says, okay, we're going to spend another $300. We're going to retest. Oh, goodness. Right? So now they haven't eaten olive oil for, th for six months. Now, nothing was done to improve the health of these epithelial cells. This is, this is the number, right? Because the food is the problem. Mm -hmm. The test told me the food is the problem. So I'm going to eliminate the food. Now, notice nothing was done to improve the health and function of the epithelial cells. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'll bite the bullet. This food is a problem. I won't eat the food. Let me spend another $300. Six months later, we'll retest. And so mm -hmm. I've been eating coconut oil <laughs> and avocado oil instead of olive oil and butter. Right. So now they spend another $300. Guess what the test comes back? I hate to even get, want to tell people. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. you're not. Oh, I hate to tell you, Mary. You know, mm. olive oil and butter didn't come back. Well, of course not. You haven't eaten it for six months. Right? <laughs> the antibodies are long gone. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate to tell you, Mary. Now you're sensitive to avocado oil and coconut oil. Can't eat those. And you go away thinking now I can't eat all four oils or all like, and your diet just became smaller and smaller, right? Correct. Correct. I have worked with clients that are eating, you know, three to five foods after going down the food sensitivity testing route. Mm. You do this long enough, you're going to be eating, you know, five foods, mm. including spices. Hmm. Right. That's a depressing road. I'm just saying it's no fun. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you, uh, try eating out with that list of dietary restrictions. Right. You become mm -hmm. the person at the table where it's a five minute conversation with the waiter. Well, what's in the sauce yeah. and this and that. Everybody's going, oh, my goodness. Or you miss out like you miss activities and mm -hmm. time with your family and friends. That's mm -hmm. no way to live either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So food sensitivity test has nothing to do with the food. It is measuring the downstream protective response that your immune system is generating because your epithelial cells are allowing undigested food into the bloodstream. So is the food the problem, right? The mm -hmm. problem is not the food. The problem is the digestive function, right? Mm -hmm. Why is it taking so long for your digestive tract to break down that olive oil into fatty acids? Again, mm -hmm. we put food into our digestive tract. We put food into this hole, this little donut hole, right? The food should be broken down quickly into mm -hmm. these nutrients shouldn't be sitting there for hours and hours, hmm. right? So we should be able to quickly break olive oil molecules down into fatty acids and get those mm -hmm. into our bloodstream. goes back to like the whole, like fix your leaky gut and everything will be okay. Like it's not just a simple answer to, at, at that point either, right? Well, this whole phenomenon really uh, sits within the first principle, what I call the first principle to restoring our health, right? So the first principle is getting the nutrients to every cell in the body, right? Mm -hmm. Every cell in the body requires nutrients to function properly. And if those nutrients are not there, the cell is not going to function properly. And then that's going to 
You know, if the cells aren't functioning properly, the organ isn't going to function properly. The organ system, that's going to kind of cascade up from mm -hmm. there. Okay. So we can have a blocker within this first principle if we have poor digestive function, right? Mm -hmm. In order to get the nutrients to the cells, we have to eat food with nutrients, but then we have to break the food down. And so if we are having food sensitivities, right? If, if we do a food sensitivity test and says, oh, you're sensitive to these 20 foods, right? Mm -hmm. That tells us, okay, your digestive tract is not breaking down these little food molecules into the micronutrients. And it's allowing these food molecules, undigested little tiny food molecules to go into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And then your immune system, right? What the test is actually picking up are the antibodies to the chicken molecule, to the olive oil molecule, to the mm. cantaloupe molecule, to the cashew molecule. Sorry, when you say antibodies, is that like, uh, remind us what that definition is, because I know I've learned about it, but I'm just not sure how to explain it properly. Mm -hmm. No, great question. Since COVID, we've been hearing a lot of, about antibodies. <laughs> I know. I'm like, do we want to go down this road? <laughs> so the immune system has to remove bacteria, viruses, undigested food particles. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those should not be in the bloodstream. And so the immune system has to remove those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So the immune system is sort of signaled by antibodies. So antibodies mm -hmm. are generated and attach to viruses, bacteria, little food molecules. They will attach to those things and then sort of signal sort of the big guns of the immune system to get rid of those things. So it's like mm -hmm. a little tag, right? It's like a little hashtag. This isn't supposed to be here. <laughs> yes. Now you're talking right? my language. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, right. So the antibodies are generated by, by, you know, there's, there are different uh, cells within the immune system, right? Different components of the immune system. So one component of the immune system is, is looking, oh, wait a minute here. This little bacteria isn't supposed to be here. This little piece of chicken isn't supposed to be here. I'm going to tag this. I'm going to hashtag this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so those cells are going to generate the antibodies. Those antibodies attach to the foreign molecule, foreign invader molecule. And then a different component of the immune system comes in and actually takes care of it, gets rid okay. of it. Okay. So it's sort of like a two-step process. So this mm -hmm. is why, you know, you, you get sick with a virus, right? Mm -hmm. At first, there's no antibodies for that virus because your body's never seen it before, right? But once those cells realize, oh, wait a minute, this shouldn't be here. Let me make antibodies, right? We will continue to generate those antibodies. And that generates sort of, okay, now when I'm exposed to the virus again, oh, here we go. I've got some antibodies. I can tag that right away. We have a jump on it. Mm, okay. Right? So the first time a little undigested piece of chicken goes into the bloodstream, it's going to take a little while for the body to go, oh, wait a minute here. There's a piece of chicken here. This isn't supposed to be here. And then mm. it'll start to generate antibodies. But the more little undigested pieces of chicken that keep coming in, because we haven't fixed the problem in the digestive tract, 
Well, now, right, the body's going to keep generating more and more. It's like, oh, this chicken won't stop. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. I got to keep generating these antibodies. Mm. Is it, I mean, aside from like an individual, on an individual level, like I'm talking as a society as a whole, why does it seem like gluten and lactose and those kinds of things are triggering your immune system more frequently than other foods. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. So um, a, a part of this, a piece of this is that some of the proteins in foods are similar to the proteins in our body. Mm. So in particular, so antibodies can only be generated in response to proteins. So um, on the surface of bacteria, there are proteins. The antibodies are generated to sort of match the proteins on the bacteria. The antibodies are generated to match the proteins in the food. Mm. I did not say amino acids. Mm-hmm. Right. So proteins break down into amino acids. You cannot be allergic to amino acids. Hmm. You can be allergic to proteins. Hmm. So you can be allergic to chicken molecules, right? You cannot be allergic to the amino acids in the chicken. Interesting. It's partly because it still isn't broken down nearly enough. Correct. Correct. Okay. You cannot be allergic to glucose. Mm. You cannot be allergic to fatty acids. Hmm. Okay. The antibodies are generated in response to proteins, whole proteins. And so what they have determined, so you take the protein in wheat. Unfortunately, the, the molecular structure of the protein in wheat is very similar to the protein structure in the thyroid gland. Hmm. So if you have poor digestive function and you cannot break wheat down into its particular amino acids and glucose, and your body is allowing little gluten molecules to go into your bloodstream, your body is going to generate an antibody response to the protein in that wheat. It's going to hashtag it. It's going to say, this shouldn't be here. Hmm. Now, those antibodies are going to float around your entire bloodstream. And then if it's similar to your thyroid gland, they're going to latch on to your thyroid gland. You're going to hashtag your thyroid. That's not good. That's not good because then your immune system is going to start to attack your thyroid. Mm-hmm. Right? The antibodies signal, okay, all right, immune system, start killing this part. Start killing this bacteria. Start getting rid of this little gluten molecule. Start getting rid of the thyroid. If our mm. thyroid is coated with antibodies because it's the, the protein molecules in that gland are so similar to the protein in wheat, we're going to have 
what is called Hashimoto's. Right. Right. So people are told when they get a Hashimoto's diagnosis, they're told, oh, can't eat wheat. Well, what if we had a proper digestive function so that we could eat wheat, break the wheat molecules down completely and not allow undigested wheat into the bloodstream? Mm-hmm. Right. So why do we have an epidemic of autoimmune diseases? There are many factors involved, in my opinion. But one of the big factors is so many people have poor digestive function. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about you eat a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. Right? So you swallow that piece of bread and it's sitting outside of your body. Right. In this donut hole. Right. And your stomach starts working on it. Your small intestine starts working on it. You're going to, at any point in time, you're going to have a little mixture of broken down amino acids and glucose from the bread that can go into the body. But then you're still going to have little bread molecules in a whole big little mishmash. Right. It's not like, oh, poof, all of this bread is now broken down into amino acids and glucose. Mm hmm. Right. A little, a little, the bread is broken down smaller, 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 broken down into little bread molecules. And then one little molecule totally broken down into glucose and amino acids. But the rest of it is still bread. Right. Mm. Just think about how intelligent the digestive tract has to be to keep the mm. bread out and the amino acids and glucose bring that into us. Right. So again, we want to get that bread broken down quickly. We don't want bread sitting in there for five hours because we're going to have, even if we had tight junctions between those epithelial cells, if something's sitting in there long enough, well, we they could, they could get into us without being broken down. Right. Mm-hmm. We want to get that food broken down quickly. We want to have those tight junctions between those epithelial cells so that they are only allowing in the micronutrients and not the food molecules. Hmm. I know you've said in past episodes that you can tell if someone has poor digestive systems without a test, right? Like you don't need to send off labs for Leslie, Dr. Leslie Caesar to (laughs) know that you have a problem. So explain how, I mean, you kind of have touched on it, but like explain how you go, oh, I know this person has a digestive problem. So our digestive tract is one of the first warning signs. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of it as a symptom. So I've said this before, we should not experience our digestion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? But we have been told it's normal to have heartburn. Mm -hmm. It's normal to have gas. It's normal Mm -hmm. to be bloated. It's normal to not have a ball movement every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have been told, you know, hiccups, all all of these things, low appetite. Many of my clients have low appetite and they don't even realize it. So if we Mm -hmm. have low digestive function, the body is going to protect us by lowering our appetite. It's like, well, if I can't break this down, I'm going to make her not eat so much. Mm -hmm. So this is where you have women hardly eating anything they're overweight right Mm -hmm. how come Mm -hmm. i'm overweight and i'm eating you know my husband says i'm eating like a bird but i eat a little bit i'm full right 
people mm. don't even realize that they have a low appetite. Mm. Because to us, we eat the food, we get full, we stop eating. It just seems like, oh, okay, I ate enough. But mm -hmm. over and over again, I find that my clients have a low appetite. Mm. Right? So we should Sorry. have a robust appetite. We should have an appetite and feel enthusiastic to eat three times a day. And we should not experience the digestive process. Mm -hmm. Right? Yo, know, I ate and oh, I felt like I had a stone in my stomach for two hours. No, mm. that's not proper digestive function. <laughs> right? We should have a daily bowel movement. Many people think, oh, well, uh, my doctor said it's normal to have a bowel movement, you know, two, three times a week. No. Right? I actually know someone that has one like once a month. And I'm just yeah. like, how do you not explode? <laughs> like, how do you, thing, how does right? your stomach it's, not blow up? Like, it's well, terrible. I would imagine they're not eating very much. Mm, probably. Mm. Because the motility, right? The movement through the digestive tract, right? We chew our food and then we got to move that food. We got to squeeze that food through the whole tube, right? Until mm -hmm. it exits the body. So if we're having a ball movement once a month, we don't have that movement. Right. Literally. Yeah. Literally. Right. So this is, uh, you know, I've had, I've had uh, people question me on this too. Well, don't you have to run? How do you determine my digestive function? It's like, well, by your symptoms. Right. What do you mean by symptoms, right? The people don't even think they're having symptoms. Well, mm. you know, you're taking Prilosec every day. Well, mm. yeah, but that's just Prilosec. Mm hmm. Oh, I just buy that over the counter. Mm hmm. It doesn't count. It's over the counter. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't have to take Tums. Right. People say, oh, well, you know, I have heartburn with spicy food. Well, our stomach acid is a pH of one. Mm. Okay. That's nothing compared to having paprika. Right. Right. Oh, well, I get, you know, heartburn when I have paprika. What do you expect? Uh, no, that's a symptom. <laughs> hmm. right. Oh, well, I have heartburn when I have tomatoes. Okay. Tomatoes are not a pH of one. Tomatoes are mean, though. Like, you really shouldn't be fighting with a tomato. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're just so sweet and innocent looking. <laughs> yeah. So people don't realize that they're having digestive symptoms because we've been told it's normal to have gas and bloating and heartburn and all this other kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't realize we have a low appetite. I think heartburn's the, the most, I don't know, the culprit that gets away with the most because it really is like universally accepted that mm -hmm. you just, I, I would bet most people know 90% of their friends or family that struggle with it. At least I think so in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's just part of being middle-aged. It's just life, right? Yeah, no, nobody thinks twice about it. Mm -mm. For sure. So if we, uh, if people are having symptoms, and this is, you know, when I work with people, we do a full assessment. What digestive symptoms are they having? And mm -hmm. this can be, you know, from mouth to rectum. Right. Um, that we have to assess that. And then we have to restore digestive function. Okay. You don't restore your digestive function by not eating food. 
Mm. Okay. We have to be able to eat food. Most people want to eat a wide variety of food. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't want to be restricted. They enjoy eating a wide variety of food, different tastes and textures and so on. They want to be able to go over to somebody's house and eat what's served without having to make a big scene. They want to mm -hmm. be able to order off the menu without having to make a big scene. They don't want to have to meet, make a separate meal for themselves and one for the rest of the family that has all the butter or whatever, all the good stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Right. But food sensitivity testing, right? This is this, this brings people to that road mm -hmm. and we're blaming the food, right? This is, this is something that we've talked about on other podcasts. We're mm -hmm. always blaming something external to us mm -hmm. for our health problem. Mm -hmm. Or we're blaming something we have no control over, like our genetics, mm -hmm. right? Rather than asking the question, what is preventing my body from healing itself? Mm -hmm. What is preventing my body from being in a state of health? Right. The answer to that question is going to be found within these, what I call three principles that are required to restore and maintain our health. The answer to that question is going to be found by looking at where are the blockers or deficiencies or missing pieces for the individual within those three principles. But we don't think about things that way. We think mm -hmm. about what, you know, what is the problem on the outside? What is the, what is the food that's causing the problem? Mm -hmm. What is external to me that's causing the problem? Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really sad in that it's a mindset that makes us like lose control over our own health. Like if we don't believe that we can heal, if our doctors don't believe we can heal, if we have to have the magic bullet, like we've talked about, like if we have to have something outside of ourselves to be healthy, then how can we ever have control over that? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know, especially for migraine sufferers, like we don't feel like we have control. You don't know when you're going to get your migraines or you mm -hmm. don't know when you're going to have a flare up of joint pain, you don't like, there's so much out of your control as it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, again, the, the pill, right? So then we go to the doctor and we're told we have to take this pill. Mm -hmm. Well, now I've got to rely on the doctor to prescribe it. I've got to rely on the pharmacist to fill it for me. And then I've got to rely on my insurance company to cover it. There's three layers of yeah. dependency right there just for right. Imitrex. Right. When really it's our body that does the healing. Right. But if we are doing things that don't activate healing, we're not going to heal. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to have for the body to heal itself is the nutrients that our cells need. Mm -hmm. Our cells can heal themselves, but they have to have the nutrients that they need to do that. Right. Right. That's the, that's the first principle. There's two other principles too. Right. Yep. So um, this is, you know, this is a third 
of what needs to happen. Right. But um, we can do this. Right. It is much easier to restore our digestive function than it is to eliminate foods and live that life. Right. The good news is that our digestive tract can heal very rapidly because of these epithelial cells. Right. So think of our skin, right? We're going to go back to our skin. Everybody knows, right? Our skin is continuously regenerating, right? The Mm -hmm. top layer is always flaking off and there's always new epithelial cells coming up from the bottom to replenish them. Right. Right. The same thing is happening in our digestive tract. It's the same type of cell. Epithelial cells regenerate very quickly. They don't live that long and they regenerate all the time. Hmm. So our digestive tract can heal very quickly. We don't have to be taking Prilosec for 20 years. I, I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the years that have been taking Prilosec for 20 years and they're off of it in four to six weeks. Wow. This is not hard stuff. Hmm. But again, we have to apply these three principles to our epithelial cells. And when we do that, the old ones that are deficient are going to die off in a couple days and we're going to have new ones Hmm. that have all three principles checked. I love that. Right? This is how quickly our digestive tract can recover. We're not talking about neurons that can take years and years to Hmm. repair. We're talking about cells that regenerate in days. Right. And we're sitting around here 20 years with a Prilosec. <laughs> talking about paprika. Right. <laughs> right. So oh, no. what do you think, Mary? I went a little, got a little more detailed on this than I thought we would, but hopefully it's helpful for people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's especially towards the end, like when we talk about like who really has control, that's always a really good reminder to me because it does sometimes feel like everything on the outside is the problem. You know, Mm -hmm. it's hard. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's a really good reminder to me. Mm -hmm. We have an amazing, miraculous ability to heal. Mm -hmm. Physically, mentally, emotionally. We are wired to do this. Mm-hmm. This is our nature. This is the, this is frankly the nature of life on earth. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a self healing mechanism to life on earth. Why mm-hmm. do we think we are not a part of that? Mm-hmm. I think the question then becomes just like, okay, where do you start? You know, I, I know that other people are thinking that as well. If I need to heal my digestive system in order to help myself with the migraines and all of the other things going wrong in my body, like, where do you start? Right. And that's probably another topic for another day. Cause I know we're getting low on time, but. Well, yeah. what I would tell people is you start with a thorough assessment within these three principles, mm-hmm. right? What are we dealing with here? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a big difference if we've got one digestive symptom or we've got 10 digestive symptoms. Mm -hmm. What about things going on in the second principle and the third principle? 
Mm -hmm. Let's get that assessed. That's the first step. What are we dealing Mm -hmm. with? Yeah. Right. I already know that people can heal and recover. I already know we're going to have some blockers and deficiencies for somebody within these three principles. What are they? Let's find out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the first, that's the first thing. Get an actual assessment, not wasting your time on these types of tests and and stuff like that, that are not really looking at these three principles, right? Food sensitivity testing, right? It's like orders of magnitude above what's going on within these three principles. Right. It's like one little piece of a dysfunction within the first principle. We've got the entire first principle. And then we've got a whole second and third principle too, but we're relying I'll borrow it next time. (laughs) Great conversation for sure. And I hope it really does help a lot of people. Well, thanks so much, Mary, for joining me again. Appreciate you. We'll see you guys soon. Well, wonderful. And thanks everybody for listening. And before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. Um, And please, if you have somebody in your life who's suffering from chronic migraines, please share this information with them. Who could benefit from this information that we talked about today? Please share that on your social media or share it with your friends and loved ones who've been praying for this information. And if you want to stay connected with Mary and I, please join our free Facebook group. We have nearly 12,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life naturally. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND in the search box on Facebook, or you can go to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we will redirect you there. 